Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Boot Room Podcast. My name is Harvey Stevens and I am delighted to be joined by Dan Zakiri. Good afternoon. Harvey Lewis. Hello. And Johnny Wallace. Hi there. It's been a couple of weeks since we last spoke uh, and in that time we have seen the footballing world rot by the FIFA corruption scandal. So uh, what do you make of it all, Dan? Well, I think it raises the fundamental issue of sporting governance. It's similar to what cricket faces with the ICC and the overwhelming power of India. It's do you want an association of members who regulate and govern themselves or do you want an independent body to govern those members? And I'd suggest that FIFA needs to move towards the latter. I agree as well. I think it's a tragedy for FIFA and for football as a whole because it's it's embarrassed the whole sport and uh, it would do well to recover from the, the events of Blatter and his, his uh, reign. Well, I just think that with the, with the two World Cups coming up in 2018 and 2022, that it's... It's going to be a telling couple of months with the re-elections and the and all the arrests that's going to be going and whether we're going to see an arrest of Sepp Blatter or not. And it's going to be telling how well they recover from it and, and if they do recover, if there's going to be... If they don't, should I say, if there's going to be someone who replaces them and a board that replaces them. And So I think it's going to be a telling couple of months for the organisation. I think the uh, main embarrassment has come from the... Well, the it's a embarrassment as a whole but the re-election of Sepp Blatter just recently and then his resignation uh, a few days later has just made a mockery of the whole situation as he's not prepared to go through with it. No one wanted him to go through with it but yet he still got elected and now we've got to have another election in December time or somewhere around there. Well, he must know. He must know that there's something coming his way. There, he must. There must be a reason why. Whether he's he's had. There's been an inquest or from the from the FBI or whatever's gone on. He must know that something something has hit him. And I think the problem is with him getting re-elected, then totally undermines any chance Prince Ali had as well. Because if he couldn't if he couldn't beat Blatter when there was clearly something going on, then and now he is. He's been talking recently about wanting to take temporary charge. Like the whole him getting real, uh, Blatter getting re-elected, re-elected undermines any authority he could possibly have. Yeah, and when when you had when you had all all the different arrests of all the different members from the South American board and the and and whatnot, it just it just shows that the the organisation throughout is just completely completely corrupt i mean we, we've always had this suspicions for for years that that something something not quite right was going on and to have it confirmed is just for people that aren't as into football it it, it casts such a bad light in what is such a fantastic sport i think the aspect that worries me is a lot of people presume that europe is going to put up a, a united front uh, against qatar and hope that there's going to be a revote on the 2022 World Cup. But I think what's been overlooked is that there are quite a few vested interests involved. Yeah, and anybody listening should go away and read Philippe Claire's piece in a recent edition of the Blizzard, where he talks about Michel Platini's uh, connections with Nicolas Sarkozy, sorry, and uh, the way in which France used Qatar to pick its economy off the ground post 2008 with the sale of arms and the building of power stations. 
Um, and also, if you've been watching the television recently, you'll be aware of the Barcelona advert of their star players jet-setting around the world. And you'll notice that's uh, an advert sponsored by Qatar Airways. PSG's owners are from Qatar. So I think uh, the influence of Qatar and Middle Eastern money in general in European football is a lot more insidious and widespread than many people know about. Yeah, and it raises a point as well that just if, even if Blatter has gone, there's an assumption that things will get better. But there's clearly a, a far larger framework involved here, as you say, influence from elsewhere, yeah. or from, from countries like Qatar. That won't be fixed by simply by people stepping down. I think the uh, the work that has left with the uh, Qatar and Russia World Cups already in place, I think there's the damage done for the future. So whoever picks up on it has already has a, a massive problem on their hands to to well rediscover the true identity of FIFA. Well, I thought there was always going to be a problem with the, with the Qatar 2022 when when there was all a couple of months back when there was all that speculation about whether it should be in the winter or the summer, and it always seemed like it it was unorganised completely from the from the bottom to the top that it hadn't been thought through, it hadn't been considered, and and now as as you said, someone's going to have to come in and completely think think it all out all over again and decide possibly even if Qatar are the right country to hold it yeah it's a World Cup that should never be hosted especially as there's no time in the year that it can be hosted without messing up the uh, leagues from around the world that's just just um, money over the footballing passion of the fans which uh, Blatter has taken yeah I mean the, the key issue is not necessarily whether you think Qatar is ideal for hosting a World Cup although most people would agree it's probably not it's whether the process that got them the World Cup was fair and proper I think that's what's been investigated and if it turns out the voting process was not fair and it was uh, susceptible to corruption which I think looks like to all intents and purposes it was then that's what will demand the re-vote not necessarily the fact it is in Qatar well all the factors lead to suggest that it will be corrupt when, when you see that Chuck Blazer has um, uh, has said that he took he took bribes for the '98 and the 2010 uh, World Cup in South Africa. It just shows that that it, it it has been happening for so long that all these all these bribes has been happening. So I don't think if there's any reason to suggest why it it wouldn't have been the same for 2022 as well. The '98 World Cup shows that the uh, corruption is closer to home as well. And England apparently are not clean themselves, so I'm a bit worried throughout the whole of football that FIFA has had a bad, bad impact on on the current affairs, and that England's been caught up in the whirlwind. So it's a very difficult process to keep clean, I think, as well. The fact that you know who's going to be voting, and you have access to contact these people at any time in the year. It's a very difficult, and it probably happens in all sports to some degree. But, but obviously, with FIFA being such a high profile and football being so high profile, all the spotlight is going to be on them. England did tr- they did try the FA to uh, get involved in this type of politics. So I think they donated a few million pounds to Jack Warner, 
of Trinidad and Tobago uh, for the building of a football school, apparently. Uh, and they invested huge amounts of money. Uh, David Cameron, D David Beckham, Prince William going out there, standing on the stage, really, you know, in hindsight, making a real fool of themselves uh, in what was a, a complete losing battle. And also, the relationship between England and the rest of the world in footballing terms is an interesting one. And it's not a particularly good relationship uh, where FIFA are concerned. It goes right the way back to when Sir Stanley Rouse was head of FIFA, the English um, Englishman, and he campaigned rigorously for uh, apartheid South Africa to be uh, readmitted into the footballing family, to use that horrible cliche. And uh, that's a, a campaign that has been neither forgotten nor forgiven in that part of the world. And it's things like that that have caused the quite widespread resentment of England and English football all around the world. Together, I think, with the success of the Premier League, I think FIFA treat international football and the World Cup in particular as their chance to have their day in the sun and sort of stand their ground against uh, the global reach and success of the major European leagues, particularly the Premier League. Well, certainly the last few years they haven't done a great job in that FIFA with all the the workers' deaths at both Brazil and Russia and and all all, all the world all the World Cups that you've you've heard about there has been all, with all the all the stadiums being built. There's always been um, controversy over over how it's been built and there's always stuff going on with them and and how the World Cup's being set up. So as you said, their moments to shine. It just hasn't worked out for them. No, I think it's a difficult one um, when you start raising human rights issues uh, with regards to suitability to hosting a World Cup because you might not end up with too many nations left <laughs> who, who are capable. Yeah. I mean, if it was to go to America, then you could make a case for prisoners being held in Guantanamo or the number of black youths killed by police officers if you want to get into the internal politics of each country. But I suppose the thing that distinguishes the migrant deaths in Qatar is that it's directly related and caused by uh, the World Cup being held there. It's been, these deaths are caused by the building of stadiums. It's not a question of their internal affairs or internal politics. Well, a point that was raised by FIFA and all this scandal was the uh, building of the Aviva Stadium and all the, all the Irish FA's part in the corruption. But uh, at the Aviva Stadium the other day, it was an absolutely boring nil-nil. With it between England and Ireland, one of the worst 90 minutes of my year, and um, just it was it showed all the signs of an end of season international game being played between two countries that that well Ireland are still fighting in their group, but we're pretty much through, mm. and we're playing Slovenia on Sunday in again this time a European qualifier, and I think we could we could have a wake up call on Sunday because I don't think that. If, if we're going to play the way that we did on last Sunday, then I don't think we've got a chance, to be honest. Yeah, I feel, well, I didn't see the game as I was at work on that Sunday, but hearing the uh, the uh, press and all the opinions of the aftermath of the boring, one of the most boring games of football in history, uh, I'm not, well, yeah, again, I'm not too sure about Sunday Slovenia. We always struggle, well, we've done pretty well over the... Uh, World Cup qualifiers in the previous Euros, but Slovenia, you never know, they could provide a tough challenge, especially as they uh, know our situation and we need a win to guarantee us uh, 
almost guarantee his qualification. They could just hold the fort and shut out, maybe hit us on the counter-attack. You never know with the attacking talents. Well, Raheem Sterling that we have, Wayne Rooney looking to break the goal, the goal uh, record. You never know which way it could sway. Yeah, I don't think it will provide the uh, the lift for international football that we we're just discussing that he might need in the wake of the FIFA scandal. Um, sort of hints at the quite a widespread apathy with the international game and fixtures over the last few years. I think it's growing. Um, it provides four weeks of its real excitement and high quality football every two years but the qualification periods and the friendlies in between are quite turgid frankly uh, particularly in England's case when their group is such a mismatch and they're to all intents and purposes qualified already Yeah, it seems uh, no one wants to get involved in the qualifiers anymore the players just look to turn up and just marginally guarantee they do their job the fans well I don't know the full fan records but I can't see massive massive fan following around Eastern Europe and yeah as you say Dan it's a bit of a poor affair at the moment between internationals around the world just leading on on your point I just think that the players are just going through the motions I mean watching the game on Sunday there was there was no spark. Raheem Sterling looked like he was just just walking around. Didn't really. He he didn't provide the attacking threat that has been made of him, and and even Wayne Rooney couldn't really provide a chance for himself. And and against a, a team like Ireland, who we I think we should with with the quality that we have, we should be beating. I just don't think that that we were anywhere near the standard that we could have been. Along with the quality, we've got the rivalry and you want to win it for the fans and all the people travelling over to see the big rivalry between Ireland and England and then to turn out a nil-nil, well a sluggish nil-nil, is just disappointing, well majorly disappointing. Well, I heard Paul Gascoigne say the other day that, that it needs to hurt, that to play for England and, and, and a performance like that it needs to hurt. And you need they need more passion and they need more more grit than they that, that they've been given in the last few years. Yeah, I, I think Paul Gascoigne there is invoking the sort of the spirit of the old home nations uh, fixtures that he would have grown up watching. Frankly, it's uh, the landscape's changed somewhat, and you ne- you never get a real intensity in friendlies. Doesn't matter what the opposition is; it could be Scotland, it could be Germany. It's never quite going to match uh, the intensity the speed of a, a game where there's three points at stake or a place in the next round of a tournament. Yeah, but that's that's what's wrong about internationals at the moment because an, an England-Ireland fixture should be played at the passion of the, the crowd and the fans around. They should be putting in a performance to gain bragging rights, a bit like a, a local derby would do in a team, team game. Well, the, the problem is with that a couple of years, they, they attempted that a couple of years ago with the the home na- trying to revive the home nations competition, but uh, obviously the problem was that England uh, didn't agree to join, so kind of undermined the competition. All of a sudden, you had England, uh, you had Ireland and Scotland being the top two, and Wales and Northern Ireland, but without, well, probably the, the biggest team of the lot in England not joining the competition, so it never really took off. 
Now, another issue is that the Premier League season, I believe this uh, upcoming year, starts on the 8th of August. So once these internationals are out of the way, I believe uh, managers usually count four weeks holiday and then four weeks for pre-season. Uh, it's it's going to be pretty tough on the players, quite frankly, uh, to be ready for next season. And it'd be interesting to see the sort of teams that are put out in the opening few weeks of uh, the Premier League season. Well, what I did find quite encouraging in the squad, Charlie Austin and Jamie Vardy both being included. And I know, obviously, with quite a few of the key players out on under-21 duty, it's a good chance for them to kind of prove themselves at national level. I mean, they've both proved themselves at the bottom end of the Premiership, and obviously Charlie Austin's going to be moving on to a, a Premier League club soon. And, you know, I think that them two could, could really kind of impose themselves if they get a chance this weekend. Austin, I can see him having a shelf life in the England team. I think he's that sort of structure, that sort of player, just popping up in the right places. Vardy, I'm not too sure. He's a bit of a... Uh, not a loose cannon in terms of what his attitude is, but when you let him go, uh, he runs and runs and runs. And I don't know if he has the quality... He has the work rate, but the quality might just be lacking to maintain his place against the likes of Kane returning, Sturridge coming back from injury, Welbeck and Wayne Rooney, along with Austin and Danny Ings on the fringes. So, I'm not too sure about Vardy. Yeah, uh, only Roy Hodgson could tell you whether he genuinely thinks Jamie Vardy's got a chance of making the Euro 2016 squad. And if Hodgson does think he, he has, then he's got to blood him into the team as soon as possible. Uh, what I would infer from the situation is that it's a case of making up the numbers and good old experimenting in friendlies again. When you've got a player like that who, you know, is, is a passionate player, maybe Roy Hodgson is just kind of thinking to himself, if that's kind of if, if he's kind of the player who plays with his heart and his sleeve, you know, maybe England would be a place for him to thrive form-wise. So if you've got a few friendlies, there's no there's no harm in giving him a chance to see what he's got. Yeah. I think it's also a great, sorry Dan, uh, a great footballing story to see Austin and Vardy coming through from the the uh, non-league and then making it onto the uh, national stage. It can only have benefits for the future as players imitate what they've done. Yeah, of course, in, until they play for England, you're never quite sure uh, whether they'll be good enough or not. And that's the argument for experimenting in friendlies and throwing in different players. I would suggest, although I'm not uh, entirely against that policy but that's something we've tried over quite a number of years and in terms of how we've uh, gone in a tournament it hasn't actually worked I would like to see Roy Hodgson have the courage of his convictions and say he can't he can't know exactly what his first eleven's going to be in France next summer but he should as an international manager have an idea of a core I would say of seven or eight in that starting lineup, and let's start you know, repeatedly playing those players in the system that Roy Hodgson thinks will get the best out of them and repeat it and practice it game after game. That's what, if you look at the successful uh, countries of recent years, like of Germany and Spain, it's been this, a core group of players playing the same system time after time after time over a few year period uh, to groove it and till it becomes second nature. Practice makes permanent, as they say. Yeah, I think the thing for Vardy and Austin, they've got to see, well, Hodgson's got to wait and see about Harry Kane next season and how he 
does in his second season as the first uh, first team striker as the first choice um, because Kane is arguably of more quality and yeah more quality than Austin and Vardy so may maybe uh, under Rooney's wing Kane would be the first choice over the other two players but you never know if Kane has uh, second season syndrome as it's titled now Austin and Vardy have a have an open door to the first team of England I think it's important in friendlies as well you know even if you do have that core group of players uh, you can't have those players getting complacent so bringing other players in giving them a chance just to kind of put a bit of pressure on the usual first team players is important as well well, what, what I found a bit telling about Roy Hodgson is we're saying all this about giving Austin Avardi and the likes um, a go in the friendlies just to see what they're like. He brought for about 10 minutes against Ireland and left Austin on the bench. If he's going to test these players, he needs to properly give them 45 minutes at least to show themselves. I mean, obviously we haven't seen this. what's going to happen against Slovenia next week. But I, I really do hope, for England's sake, that he does give Austin and Vardy both a um, a substantial amount of time on the field. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree because there's something not right about Hodgson in the way he chooses these players to come up. And in my opinion, I would blood them straight away in a in a friendly, see how they can cope with it with the pressure low, and then maybe bench them on the second game. You've got the confidence from a debut. You want your starting lineup in the second game for a, a qualifier. You maybe just put them on the bench, just hold them back a bit. But then you've seen how they can do against a, a rivalry, a rival nation as Ireland, and then see how they can do from there instead of leaving them on the bench, seeing how it is, but not actually experiencing how to play on the on the pitch with the internationals. Well, we, yeah. I- I think the forward line for Euro 2016, I think that it will be Harry Kane, Rooney, Sturridge, Welbeck, possibly Danny Ings pushing them. I just, I think that they'll be the set of strikers Hodgson will go with. And I don't think it really matters whether Vardy or Austin score against Slovenia or not. Although you have seen players, say, like Andros Townsend, who have flourished for England more so than for their club side, uh, Austin or Vardy. might follow that same pattern. Well, what I think about the players you just listed, I think that I, I genuinely think if, if Welbeck doesn't have a great season next season next year for Arsenal, then I can really see him losing out on his place for England because certainly in the last few years, in his last year for United, in his first year at Arsenal, he hasn't shone by any means. Um, I think that he does need to kind of step up just to make sure that just to cement his place in, in the squad. Yeah, yeah, he needs to add goals to his club game. Although internationally, he does fine against the likes of Switzerland. He scored a brace, if I'm right, uh, if I'm not wrong. Uh, scored a brace against Switzerland, yeah. and then he does when he's in the central role against of uh, international level. He does play well, but he just never gets a run of games to establish himself and like learn his surroundings and learn how to play with the players especially the creative players that Arsenal have behind him. He's always in and out on the left wing and it's it's harming him and his uh, his prospective future of uh, national football. I think he's a player Hodgson will always find a place for. I think Gary Neville's also 
quite a fan of his for obvious reasons perhaps but and I also think everybody's inclined fans journalists managers to think that the pacier player will do better in international football than the less pacier player especially forwards mm, and with Welbeck as well in the team that's where Vardy I don't see a chance for Vardy because he's of the same work rate and ethic yeah. of, as Welbeck Welbeck may just have that like top end quality as he plays for a high level team so Vardy Vardy could lose his place there and as for Austin a different mould so you couldn't really pair him against each well, other we've mentioned Danny Ings he's completed his move to Liverpool yesterday and along with fellow England teammate James Milner the week before good signings for Liverpool I I think they're alright I mean I know Ings they've got him for for well nothing on paper at the moment but they'll probably have to pay compensation uh, I was looking through the Twitter reaction to to him joining the outrage of so many Liverpool fans I couldn't actually believe it considering considering some of the money they've spent in recent years to then get a player for free who's played well all season kind of uh, kind of baffling yeah I agree um, I think Liverpool fans seeing Milner and Ings join have slight have been slightly deluded over the this site this transfer window at the moment because they're not going to be up there competing for the uh, top top players like they've been linked with Edison Cavani Carlos Tevez is linked with them uh, surprisingly today I read but they're not at that level because they can't offer what teams above them in the Premier League can and Juventus are now a big signing force signing Sami Khedira on a free because they've hit the Champions League final and then across the uh, pond you've got Paris Saint-Germain and then Bayern Munich in, in Germany so Liverpool fans I would if I was a Liverpool fan I'd be happy with the signing Milner and Ings it shows the right strategy, transfer strategy instead of splashing 20 million on players like Lovren that haven't haven't performed over the past season Yeah I think they're two signings who improve the squad if not the team uh, if you get what I mean by that I think if you wrote, look at the squad on paper you say Dan, Daniel Sturridge is still Liverpool's first choice striker if he's fit behind him you've got Ricky Lambert is Danny Ings going to provide more than Ricky Lambert? Yeah, he probably will. He's 10 years younger. He's more mobile. Suits Brendan Rodgers' football a little bit more. Uh, James Milner, I think, would have been a good addition to any club in the Premiership. Uh, the only issue I think the other top clubs would have had is where his wage demands, but that comes as a result of the fact he was a free transfer and he could take his pick, if you like. Um, yeah. A penny, penny for Raheem Sterling's thoughts at James Milner coming in at 150 grand a week and becoming the club's top earner. I think uh, if you'd slapped a fee on both of them players coming in, I think Liverpool fans would be more happy about it. And I, that seems strange to say, but Liverpool fans making a money signing, showing their intent, would probably make the fans happier than signing all two players that clubs don't want, like a player that the club doesn't want, and then the player that's being relegated it put, sort of puts a downer on their actual potential and the quality that they have signed well I just think that the, the two players are going to add a bit of sp a, a spine to the team that they've been lacking obviously with Gerard leaving that's a leader that they, they're going to be going to be losing and, and Milner is a is a player that can offer that bit of work rate and that bit of bit of determination that they need 
and and, and again with Danny Ings, someone that that isn't going to be like Mario Balotelli that just walks around the pitch and um, and doesn't put in the, the required effort. Someone that does put in a hundred percent every game. Yeah, they've brought in two workers, and that's what Liverpool need at the moment. They've they've struggled for the lacklustre pace that they've played at this season. Lucas Leiva, um, he he's he's in the team, but he's a negative to Liverpool's play. I feel he's too slow and then with bringing James Milner you've got a different player although slightly different positions but you could operate Milner as a utility player in that role you've got the drive and determination and he's not going to replicate what Gerard brought because Gerard was up there with one of some of the uh, top English leaders in, in the game but he is experienced he knows he's got Champions League know-how and Premier League champion know-how so it's good signing for Liverpool and I'm baffled to why to why they the negative about it I think Milner's versatility would have attracted Rodgers as well given the fact he likes to play different systems likes to talk about the fact he plays different systems as well um, <laughs> but I think Milner fits that perfectly he can play left right you can you could see him on the right of the 3-4-3 three, three that uh, they favoured in the middle of last season um, I do think they need a little bit more guile in central midfield. Uh, they've got Coutinho in that sort of number 10 position. Uh, but if you're thinking you've got Milner, and, um, Joe Allen, Jordan Henderson and Lucas, as you say, uh, I think it could be quite a lot of side-to-side stuff in their, in their passing. I think they <laughs> yeah. need somebody with a little bit more range, uh, who takes a bit more of a risk on the ball. I think if you keep them, well, you come in the side because doesn't work uh, formation wise but dropping Lucas uh, Lieva using Henderson Allen and Milner you'd have to yeah. operate Coutinho ahead of them for that creative yeah. spark He he's probably staying this season I can't see him going to Barcelona the likes of Barcelona that he's linked to so I think it could work out if you if you if Brendan Brendan, Rod- uh, Brendan Rodgers sorry works it perfectly with Coutinho at the top of a diamond in the four-one-two-one-two uh, formation, it could work with Milner as well, uh, showing his experience, shedding his experience onto the likes of Allen and Henderson. So you never know with which Liverpool side's going to turn up. To be fair, I think they definitely need some stre- strengthening at, at the back, though. As, as someone mentioned earlier, having Lovren, who hasn't had a great great season by any means. They do need some strengthening. Skirtle's getting older, but is still probably their best centre half at the moment. They do need some strengthening, and and they've got Emre Chan playing in in defence. And when you were talking about the depth they do have in midfield, Emre Chan's another player who 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 by is usually actually a, a defensive midfielder, but Rogers has preferred him at a, at a centre back for most of this season. They do need to strengthen that that position, and if they do. Then they might might have an okay season. Yeah, if they uh, if they can strengthen in centre back, I'm not too sure who would come in, but uh, then that would allow Chan to be moved forward, and he is a uh, drive. He's quite a driving force in centre mid. You saw him against Chelsea uh, in the season, driving, stinging the palms of Courtois, checking goal, and he can drive the team forward he is a good player on the ball and is is willing to take risks which 
some uh, which may come with his uh, German German roots. I think I think the problem with the centre defence, obviously, you can't have. I, I wouldn't put Chan in there. I don't think he's good enough. They're either going to have to spend a lot of money and tempt someone maybe of Champions League quality to to miss out on that for a season, or they're going to have to take a bit of a risk by buying someone maybe from lower down in the Premier League or yeah. take a chance with someone from the Championship and that's again another risk and you wouldn't really say Rodgers has got the uh, luxury of taking a risk that's not going to work out I think if you want to make someone side on it, want to make someone miss a uh, term of Champions League football you're going to have to be paying Angel Di Maria fees uh, for the transfer and yeah. Rodgers with the the insecurity that he's got from such a poor poor end of season last season I don't see them strengthening in that way over the uh, summer period I honestly thought Lovren would be a success there but in hindsight it seems as if they they signed the wrong Southampton central defender when you look at how Jose Font has gone uh, I think if they could swap the two of them they'd happily do so well, he may still end up uh, being successful. I mean, you, it is being very unfair judging after only one season. You never know. It could have not quite worked. Well, it didn't work for a lot of players at Liverpool last season. So you don't know. But they're going to have to take some kind of risk or pay a lot of money for the season. Well, moving on with the transfers. Today, Swansea have completed the uh, signing of Andre Ayew. And uh, West Ham have, in the last few minutes, actually just confirmed the signing of Pedro Abiang from Sampdoria two players which are new to the Premier League who I think could flourish um, Ayu exciting player left winger uh, at Marseille played well with a big striker up front in, in Gignac and hopefully with Bafatimbi Gomez uh, he can replicate that form at Marseille as for Obayang I think it is Sampdoria I've seen him a few times he's sort of the uh, Sheku Kuyate role uh, mold that they already have, so that'll be interesting. Although he's slightly younger and a bit better technically, but physically is very similar to Kuyate, so it's a bit of a like-for-like -like transfer. So I'm not too sure about that, but we'll see how it pans out over the uh, next season. Well, for a lot of this season, West Ham were playing with Kuyate and Song in midfield. And obviously, with Song, Song was only on loan, and his return to Barcelona, they did need to bring someone in. Likewise, some some strength, and I think Slaven Bilic has made a statement of intent in buying a a young a young player that has that has been praised a lot and, and that is high, very highly regarded within Europe. Yes, uh, it's one of the stories of the week, Slaven Bilic. Um, it's interesting how West Ham fans regard him as one of their own when. He only played 55 games for them. Uh, Nigel Rio Coker's had a bigger influence on their modern history than Slaven Bilic, but there you go. Uh, but he's certainly a character that does uh, provoke a sort of cult interest uh, among fans, I suppose. So I guess that's the origins of it. I think he fits, but, uh, fits West Ham quite well. I've seen a few highlights of him during his time. He was quite a, a rough, a tough tackling tackling player and I think uh, in his managerial style he's quite aggressive as well, he saw that in Besiktas going at Arsenal in the uh, qualifiers earlier this season and I think yeah. he's, he is quite a character which will be 
fun to see see him in the Premier League. I'm just cautious to how much time he'll get given if results don't go his way. As you say, as he didn't have the biggest impact on West Ham West Ham uh, history. Well, West Ham fans always do seem to have that trend of of losing patience with managers far too quickly. When you look at Sam Allardyce, he he just after a few games of losing, they they turned on him after what was a fantastic first half of the season. And I just don't think that helps the club. Yeah, and I think I mean, Bilic is quite a risk as well going it because um, his manage his record hasn't been too great with his last two clubs. He got sacked by Lokomotiv Moscow for their worst ever finish in the Russian league, and uh, he only finished third with Besiktas. Didn't manage to kind of break the Fenerbahce and Galatasaray at the top. So all it takes is a bad start, and all of a sudden. Everything, all this talk about being one of their own will be will be forgotten about. It's a really big season for West Ham with the Olympic Stadium move coming in 2016. Uh, they you know they cannot afford anything to go wrong in the slightest. Uh, it's going to be a real burden on Bilic and the players, uh, knowing that relegation would really be disastrous heading into a 50,000 seat stadium, 60 even. And uh, last weekend saw a fantastic spectacle, the Champions League final. Barcelona, 3-1 winners, and I think they deservingly won the Champions League. And I, I, I believe that this Barcelona side has to go down as one of the best ever footballing teams. Yeah, it's, it's so exciting seeing Messi, Suarez and Neymar work the magic up front. And I think that has to go down... To, uh, to credit uh, Luis Enrique as he's done a fantastic job uh, especially in the second half of the season after coming under such criticism around the December-January time uh, with apparent fallouts with Messi he's uh, started he's found a structure for them that incorporates all three of the uh, MSN as in her newly called and Suarez paying paying up to the uh, big big price tag with his goals and assists and if you look at the the combination between all of them they've all cooperated with each other and it just it's just epitomizes their work together and their skill and talent yeah i think pep pep guardiola's team won uh two three two european cups in three seasons so i think this team needs to repeat success uh to be put alongside them I personally found the Guardiola team more impressive because I thought they dominated games to a greater extent than this current Barcelona team. Um, I've only watched them in the big La Liga fixtures and the European games, but they don't seem to control the game for as long a period as they did under Guardiola. Having said that, they are perhaps more incisive and more unpredictable, actually, with the players they've got, like so Suarez, Neymar. Rakitic is a bit more rugged than uh, the metronome Xavi that they had before. Um, so different tastes I suppose will dictate uh, which team you prefer I think it's a a hard one to judge as well for the future as they've got this transfer ban I can't see it them falling short in terms of the length of the ban currently but you look at players that are linked with Paul Pogba I don't really think he fits the mould of what they're trying to achieve and it's quite a niche market for what Barcelona want to recruit you see uh, Alex Vidal coming in for Dani Alves but Dani Alves has done a U-turn on his contract so we'll see how that one pans out especially with the uh, academy talent that they have coming through they sort of 
need to start relying on that academy talent again as it, they are in such a niche niche player market well just going back to your point Dan I think that that this team is a lot more exciting than Guardiola's because as you touched on you, you said that they're more unpredictable which which I, I fully agree with I think that this this team are more unpredictable they're obviously more free scoring and and I, I just think that they're more raw and and they're more exciting to watch because they offer such a an attacking threat uh, rather than when you were watching Guardiola's team it was it was kind of the rise of the tiki taka it was all the passing all the passing and with this you've got more skill more more pace and power which just offers such a such a more exciting way of playing football yeah perhaps yeah. and the addition of Pogba would definitely be a sign that uh, Luis Enrique is trying to make a departure from the philosophy that's gone before uh, in the pro- profile of player uh, I heard Gillian Balaguer has been talking about how he's insisted on getting the players fitter he's put a lot more emphasis on physical work they've even started uh, practicing the odd set piece routine rather than just taking corners short uh, which I always used to. So, yeah, Pogba would definitely be a sign that they're moving in a slightly different yeah. stylistic direction. I don't. I I yeah. just can't see him at Barcelona for some reason. I've got no stats or facts to back it up. I just don't think he he fits the mould of mould of what you'd picture or uh, stereotype a Barcelona player to be. And with the academy is having such strength, I think. The uh, the men up above will try push through some of the talent to maintain their La Masia roots, hopefully. And they've got Alex Song back as well. Don't, don't forget. Don't yeah, exactly. So basically, uh, <laughs> sorted in in that role. I, I was gonna say, I just I think um, I would have to agree. I can't quite see Pogba fitting. If I was to picture him in a, in a shirt, it would be more of a Real Madrid shirt. If it, if it was either of them. Well, yeah, going on about Real Madrid, they obviously couldn't beat Juventus in the semi-final, and I think that that will be something that that Madrid will be very cautious of. And obviously, they they were quick in sacking Carlo Ancelotti, and you know I think that the powers that be at Real Madrid got obviously very nervous that Ancelotti wasn't the man after that departure, which they uh, departure of the Champions League that they obviously weren't very happy with. Yeah, that's absolutely balmy. I don't know. The standards are so high. I don't think he could do much more apart from lose to a very well-organised Juventus team that had luck on their side and were playing good football and did did look like when they scored their first goal in the final, looked like they may snatch something from it. Although with Messi, Neymar and Suarez uh, up front, nothing's ever ever given given for granted. Now, this is going to be an absolute soap opera next season. It's the most political club in the world have appointed the most political manager in the world who loves to manoeuvre and get involved in various sort of diplomatic dealings with the people upstairs at whatever club he's been at, Rafa Benitez. And he doesn't play the style of football that the fans uh, crave. So if it lasted more than a season, I'd be very surprised. Well, you mentioned Juventus, and I think they did a... A very great, uh, uh, an amazing job in getting to where they did in the Euro- Euro- in the in their European campaign. They obviously won the double in Italy, the league and the domestic cup. And I think that they need to keep it next season. They need to push on from where that what they did this year, and and go for their 
fifth consecutive title because they, they won their fourth this year. Uh, and if they can do that and push on from and get to the final again, which I I don't know if it will happen. They've they've obviously made a fantastic signing in Sami Khedira uh, and have a have an astonishing midfield. When you look at Perlo and Pogba and and Marquisio and Vidal and now Khedira. I think they're obviously going to lose one or two of them when you look at Perlo and Pogba both potentially leaving. And I think I think that, that they could be very proud of what they've done this year. And If they can replicate it next season, I'm not too sure. Yeah, well, I think they've already... I mean, I've been, I'm a fan of the Italian league and I would normally want to say it's going to be competitive, but I can't see anyone except them winning the league next season. No. I think Roma have still got a bit of building to do and... Maybe maybe Inter can challenge, be close to challenging next season. So I would be relatively confident saying already that they're going to win that. Whether they can strengthen enough to to compete again in the Champions League is a different story. I, I don't know. Yeah, I think if you look at their team, it's a very a mature team, I would say, that had maybe reached its zenith last season. Uh, if you look Buffon, Chiellini... Uh, Benucci, Pirlo, of course, Vidal, Marquisio, Tevez, all experienced players, either at their prime or just just on the crest of moving from their prime into their latter years. So you don't look at the team and think, wow, they're, they're a coming team, they're a team that's going to be there for the next three or four seasons. You, I think we fear it could be a side that reached its full potential last season. I would say, though, maybe getting to the final will have helped them hugely. I mean, They'll, they'll have that kind of fear back in them again, like from the opposition again. Yeah, and also it's in the transfer in the transfer market, they're a big name once again, which they they haven't mm. been for quite a while since since the relegation and points deduction. Well, I think that, I think that them getting into the into the final will be a huge attraction to many players. For players that they once maybe couldn't attract, they're now they are now offer something else that that they want to go and challenge Barcelona and Real Madrid and whoever may be at the top of at the top of European football next season. Yep, it's a, it's a massive club still as well. Um, name and the history, I think, will, uh, has always attracted players and will continue to do so. And also what they've got going for them is uh, the coach, Allegri, you know, the, it's the stereotypical Italian qualities that organised they've got that winning mentality about them and if they can keep that any team who's got that it might not necessarily have the talent of other teams but it gives them a boxer's chance of, of progressing I think that concludes our second Boot Room podcast thanks for joining us and uh, we'll see you soon <laughs>